This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fukatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going quite well. It's quite good, this being at home stuff. I like it. Hey, do you know what you can do, Sam? You can do that job you were supposed to do last lockdown. <laughs> you know what they did it so fast this time i didn't have the chance to go and buy the varnish and i've used the varnish for something else <laughs> oh well next time <laughs> next time those these windowsills will get painted one year <laughs> who are we introducing today today i'm introducing um someone who i feel just so lucky to get to work with the very lovely bev gattenby uh, Bev is a mother, a daughter, a friend, a wife, a consultant, a gardener, a farmer, a, a governance expert, uh, a board member who's never bored, I think, and um, and a really spectacular human being. So it's really lovely to have you here today, Bev. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bev. Where are you, Bev? Uh, I'm sitting at home, as we all are, in lockdown in or Hopal, which is in between Te Awamutu and Hamilton. I don't think we've had anybody and on the I, show from there. Have, <laughs> and I have a view of um, the lovely rolling green land of, of the Waikato and a herd of cows. Yes, I have heard of cows. When, uh-huh. when we first came to New Zealand, that was one of the places where we nearly ended up. Uh, Dad was a psych nurse, and there was a hospital near there, isn't there? There was. Yes, yes. So how yes, is, if I ask how is your bubble life, I have to now preface it with how was your first bubble life, the big lockdown. How was that for you? The big lockdown was, um, so first of all, I have to acknowledge, uh, you know, the privilege of living in a safe house with plenty of food. Um and uh you know no major worries not an essential worker um so there was this time to reflect time to go slower um probably did too much eating um so we so i was here with my husband chris and our um back then 22 year old daughter um came home from university and lived with us for that time as well and actually it was a really special time with her i you know, I think she made a decision that this was going to be a nice time. She uh, got up most mornings and said, mm, what should we have for lunch today? What should we have for dinner? And the grocery bill went up massively. She liked going to the supermarket. 
and all kinds of delicious things were made, which she did a lot of the cooking for. So that was pretty wonderful. This time it's just me and Chris, so a little bit different. And I, I probably feel a little unsettled. I don't hard to know what to do. Quite a bit of work waiting on the computer, but not managing to get to it as much as I should. Um, and of course, I, I remember from last time, I, I don't know what it was like all around the country, but it was those golden days of autumn, um, the first month or so, and we really had some beautiful sunny days. Um, and we did quite a bit of walking, quite a bit of gardening. We did a few jobs, you know, there was a pretty big list and we did a few, but um, <laughs> gee, it was nice to go slow. And I don't, I don't know if as an adult I've ever gone that slow, which is really interesting commentary on life, isn't it? It's an interesting when we get that window on the alternative and how much we enjoyed it, but then how much we went back to rushing about being busy. Yeah, well, really interesting for us because we made a very big um, decision just after lockdown. And I suspect that had we not had lockdown, we wouldn't have made the same decision. So so in our case, um, I was um, working um, full-time, often more than full-time as a consultant, and uh, my husband Chris had been working um, part-time in a place called the Tree Church and Gardens uh, just out of Ohopo, which is, have a, have a Google, anyone who doesn't know it, but it's a, it's a two and a half hectare garden with at its heart a chapel made of living trees. And um, so Chris, Chris had been fortunate to work there for four years with a, a man named Barry Cox who, who created the beautiful gardens. He's you know, just a retired farmer at the time who loved church architecture and loved trees and so built himself a chapel in the heart of his own garden. Didn't ever expect it to be for anyone else. Um, you know, and so there's another big story there. However, um, Barry needed to retire and um, the tree church and gardens were up for sale. We, we'd thought about it in February, so just before lockdown, and said, mm, no, it's not what we want. We, You know, we agonised a little bit, but we decided no. Um, and then after lockdown, Barry arrived at our door one day and said, actually, I want you two to buy it um, and talked with us about how that might happen and what it's like. And very quickly, we actually said yes. And I do think had we not had that time in lockdown, kind of rethinking. And so for me, thinking about being outside more, um, being in the seasons, um, doing something less intellectual perhaps than I'd been doing, thinking about the need of people for nurturing places, healing places. Um, it kind of just all came together in a, in a really big life change. The funny thing is, of course, that, you know, lockdown, lockdown for us was this lovely, relaxed, slower time. Since we bought the tree church and gardens, we've go, been going faster than ever. <laughs> So I'm not quite sure what the logic is, but something did shift inside us at the time. Have you moved to it? No, so that we will do. We we live only three minutes drive away, um, but and there's on site there's a, a big old two story barn, and that barn with there's a current building project going on to to turn that into a lovely indoor venue in the trees um, in a small apartment for us and a, a couple of lovely accommodation rooms. Um, so that project is mid-build, and we were really hoping the cladders would be there today cladding it. However, they're not. <laughs> so is it a it's a it's a garden? I'm just looking at the website. It's it's a it's a formal looking garden with a mm. with an, a 
wedding venue in the middle of it, or, or, or made of made of trees. It's it's stunning. No wonder you wanted to buy it. It is. It's very. <laughs> yes, yes. Is it as, as Barry said to us? It's a lifestyle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I get you know I guess there are a bunch of things in our lives. It, there's no way in the world we could have pictured this happening. You know, you don't you don't ever plan something like this. And um, and we look, you know, Chris turned sixty this year. I'm in my late fifties. Probably didn't expect to have another adventure of this kind at this stage. Um, however, you know, we're on this adventure, trying to build something, and you know, it's hard to get materials and shipping and <laughs> and uh, and now lockdown. Um, however, I, what I will say is that's forcing Chris and I to rest for a few days which is a very nice thing. So people do actually get married there? It is a venue that people use for weddings and other things? Yeah. Yeah, so we do have weddings there, very occasionally funerals. Um, it's open to the general public um, for an admission on Sundays over spring, summer, autumn. And uh, so we have quite a few visitors on Sundays. Um, and we have garden tours, quite a few garden groups, retirement villages, uh, people just having a birthday celebration um, might book to come during the week and and uh, they they sit in the gardens and um, perhaps enjoy a picnic, um, enjoy the church, enjoy sometimes, uh, you know, people come for all kinds of reasons. And I, I remember last summer, um, and, I, you know, this is pertinent to these these strange times that we find ourselves in. Um, we, we had one family arrive one day, a Samoan family, and this is on a Sunday. Didn't know they were coming, and they they didn't talk about it beforehand. Um, but they were clutching a photo of an older gentleman, and um, the um, the mother of the group, her father was being buried in Samoa at that time, and she came to sit with her family to be in the church during that time. Makes you want, yeah, makes me feel weepy really. It's uh, you know, people need special places and. What we notice about this is um, people have a sense of it. You know, there's not a congregation with this church. It's not consecrated or anything like that. People do have a sense of churches as special places. And people have a sense, even though they might not articulate it, that, that trees have a, a life-giving energy about them. And when you combine those two things, and I think for many young people, you know, they have quite a sense of spirituality in nature. And so when they come into this beautiful green space where there are fantail nests in the in the roof trees and um you know they people feel something there something that that's that is nurturing that's healing that's joyful and celebratory um it's a very special place yeah we feel like it's a real honor to be its guardians for a wee while actually how amazing let's take the first of your music choices let's have let it be, the Beatles, obviously. Why this one? <laughs> uh, life has some hard stuff in it, eh? You know? And we can choose to worry at it. Um, and or we can have, we can, I mean, we can keep trying to make the world a better place and having good relationships around us and having integrity and being true to all that's good in life and at the same time we have to let things be sometimes and also I guess I really love the line um, Mother Mary just the the notion of 
women and uh, I don't know how to put this. Mawera, you might have some words. The, the way that women carry wisdom. And um, the way that we care for each other too, isn't it? It's that way that we hold things gently in our hands. Yeah. 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 A heart of the mother. in times of trouble Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be Let it be Let it be Let it be
interesting when we think about Mother Earth too, isn't it? And uh, the wisdom of Mother Earth, the damage, the worries. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the way that the Earth holds us and is so forgiving when we actually start trying to put right the wrongs that we've done, that nature is so forgiving of the many trespasses that we commit against oh, it. Gosh. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I find myself having very interesting thoughts about the gardens in lots of ways, actually, because so there are two and a half hectares of very formal gardens, and they're, they're mainly exotic trees, so you know oaks and um, maples and beeches and birches and ginkgos and you know many of the very beautiful trees um, from around the world, and and that's a very beautiful collection. Of course, my commitments have been. Um, Toward, and all my work and, and um, life have been around, you know, how as a country, how as this country, Aotearoa, do we honour the principles of Te Tiriti? And now I find myself in this, you know, very exotic garden. There, there is another hectare and a half out the back, which, is, which borders a, a lovely winding stream. And you could actually make it look like it's in England somewhere. Um, but we will replant that in natives and... But I, you know, it's an interesting self-reflection that I've at times I've wondered: is it okay to have a garden that isn't full of natives? You know, <laughs> I think it is actually, and I think all trees are good and valued um, and important at the moment, even though it's also really important to be planting natives in this country. I heard something the other day that someone said to some, or maybe I read this. I don't know. Maybe it was a meme, or maybe Jack told me. I don't know. Where a boy said to a man. When's the best time to plant a tree? And the man said, 20 years ago, but today will be fine. Yes, yes. And have you seen, there's a, there's a beautiful picture too of something about a tree saying, uh, uh, I can't know if I can get this right, but something about I can sit in silence with you. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I do think trees have a, an amazing energy about them. Um, here in Fakatani, or near to Fakatani in Portiki, we've got this tree called Takitakiro, and mm -hmm. it's a two and a half thousand year old puriri tree. Wow. It's really special to Whakatohia. Uh, it's where they used to bury the bones of their ancestors. Wow. And I've never, like, I've, I've always had an affinity with trees, but nothing like the the first time I saw that tree where it just actually blew my mind that a tree could mm. feel that way. Mm. That was remarkable. Mm. Sounds beautiful. Bev, you, you were, you've got this massive capacity for love and care that I've observed working with you over the last while on, on, the, on one of our boards and, um, and having to juggle some really complex relationships and complex ideas and, and, doing so with so much grace and so much kindness. And I wonder what has been the biggest influence in your life that's that's brought you those incredible skills that you have? Hmm. It's always hard to pinpoint one thing, isn't it? Um, and I, certainly numerous women like you around me, um, and of course many men as well. Um, but, uh, you know, if I had to define a single event, um, so it would be the death of our second daughter, Rosie, long time ago now, 1993. Um, she was a, a beautiful, bonny, three-and-a-half-month-old baby who was suddenly taken um, very ill 
and we had about 12 hours in intensive care with her before she died in our arms. And, you know, in a way, I'm a, like most bereaved parents, a never recovered grieving mother. Um, and that, um, you know, you, I, I hate it when people say, think of all you've learned from that, you know, because actually I'd rather have her back, to be honest, and, and not have learned so much. Um, but, but nevertheless, I just, I guess, I do feel this great sense of compassion. People have really hard things in their lives, you know, um, and compassion is so important. I feel quite crotchety reading. I was, you know, doing a little bit of the scrolling on Facebook this morning and, um, you know, seeing The Guardian having an article about, you know, New Zealand locks down after one case, horrendous one case, you know, and um, and seeing people from all over the world commenting um, and, and people saying that, um, you know, implying that New Zealanders are being sheep um, and so on. You know, and there's all kinds of comments because there's also, you know, some people in New Zealand who are saying, you know, this is the loony left or, or whatever, and many people defending our country. Um, lots of logic being thrown in, not always heard. Um, but I but I guess I just do get crotchety because I think actually this time above all is about compassion. That that's, that's our task is compassion for each other. And, I, you know, think of those people who have COVID now, who are the close contacts and the, you know, the person who went to the doctor, thought I better have a test done, really didn't for a minute think it was COVID, I imagine. Um, you know, the people at Avondale College, the the church, the all of us, really. Um, you know, we need to have compassion. I, and I know that people get ratty about repeating the words, um, be kind. Kindness is such, you know, it's just everything, isn't it, in life, um, being kind to each other. But also, you know, it's no good. Um, there's got to be a bit of political consciousness alongside that for me because um, that's where some of our compassion comes from when we understand what some people have lost and the privileges we have ourselves, um, what those privileges have meant and losses for others. Um, and always, always, and, and having compassion is not enough either, you know. Um, yeah, one the world's my, a tricky place. One of my Otago Polytech learners uh, in the last lockdown, he one of his um, he did a Bachelor of Applied Management. Beautiful job he did. Really young too, only 26. Absolutely gorgeous bit of work he did. And he was in the last lockdown a foreman for a capsicum growing organisation. And he <laughs> said the most, the most difficult thing for them was the staff members really resenting having to be working in this hot greenhouse day after day while their mates were sitting at home on PlayStation drinking beer. And, wow. that, and because they were really kind of, they're not a, an organisation that make a big song and dance, so nobody would ever even know that, you know, you've got all these guys doing that. And then I think of people in the supermarkets and the gas stations and the ambulance drivers and the rubbish truck guys and, like, all of that, all these people who while all of us are staying at home, are uh, yeah. not getting the opportunity to do that and a lot of times putting themselves at risk. And and I and many of whom are our, low paid, are our low-paid workers yeah. um, as well. 
um, and some of whom won't have good health status, um, and the risks may be greater for them. I mean, I, not I'm not meaning to stereotype in any way, but I, you know, I just I remember one time being in the, in the supermarket during lockdown last year, and uh, there was a young woman there who was coughing her heart out. She obviously was unwell. Um, I didn't, I wasn't scared she had COVID or anything like that. I just thought, uh, you know, you poor thing. Uh, do you have a choice? Can you be at home? Um, and I, you know, that's really interesting because in a way you're talking about the invisible as essential workers, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have to remember them and have compassion for them and the struggles that they have because it's really easy to just forget that they're there, except mm. when you run out of food, then you remember mm. they were there. All the farmers, everybody, mm. all these people who, who have to keep working even when we're not. Mm. Quite a lot of my... Um, kind of insights into what it was like for different groups of people comes because I work as a consultant with, with a large number of charities. And um, so I've been in the charitable sector for a long time myself um, in, in various roles. And then for the last five years, been working as a consultant with charities. And so, of course, for the, um, particularly for the social services sector, you know, this was a massive time and there was a, a coming together in a way that had been talked about for many years, certainly in our region, in Waikato, um, you know, talked about this kind of collaboration for years and years and, you know, why don't we do it? Surely we can do it. And then here, you know, the philanthropic funders came together very quickly. They had a very large pool of money, much quicker than MSD at the time, as I understand. I may be wrong on that. Um, and you had the best um, outreach in terms of food poverty, the most coordinated approach that had that had been seen. Um, I, you know, there was some some really amazing work went on for charities. But also what's true, of course, is that that was quite hard for those uh, charity sector work, workers um, as well, you know, who were carrying, you think about people in the shelters um, or um, people working in the family violence area, um, you know, people working um, in all kinds of social services in that, um, you know, and the, the other the other absolute joy that came through some of this collaboration was seeing, for example, a number of marae um, around who um, became the absolute centre of caring for their people and were acknowledged and recognised for that with funding from philanthropic funders and um, and and their their district councils really getting a picture of how crucial to life. Um, and to well-being, those marae were. It was, a, you know, a massive learning time, I think, um, in many places. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arahanui, kia koutou, kotahoho. I hope you're all having a stay, beautiful superstar, it's beloved universal. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we all want to get is proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you each day. Who you are, part of nature's are perfect and here making things. Thank you. So know that for all of us, this last more than a year has been very intense. I want to thank Sam and the whole Playing Bubbles team for these five minutes with you. It made a huge difference to me. I'm so grateful. I know that we find ourselves yet again in lockdown here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, having been in a state of relative freedom for such a long time. 
and for me what I know is so important and so helpful and I hope this is possible for you is to make sure I get enough time for myself to myself having some time and space where I can really go within and reconnect with that stillness and peace within myself in a sanctuary and commune and communicate with myself check in with how I am how I'm feeling amidst all the changes and ups and the downs and the shift and the transitions and the trend in the world around me knowing that the part of me, the part of all of us and that will never change that is part of the infinite and the unchangeable consciousness that permeates all life i'm thinking of also getting more beautiful kens looking at photos of them from a lovely lady seeing if this would be possible in the next wee while i'm thinking of course of doing various health regimes and talking with happy people thinking of course of transforming the house and garden talking with Harvey Penfold about this how we can do this together and so of course many of our activities beyond our inner sanctuary are in relationship we're speaking about how we can work together to achieve things talking with the other staff at my heart's home workplace or a canoe ecosystem how we can continue to do things even in this time of lockdown working towards and planning for But of course it in a sanctuary is our relationship with ourselves and relationship with oneness with all life it's so important to be able to access that at in a sanctuary of course for me and all of us is a place where our creativity resides in that place where our sense of self and belonging renewal nourishment resides that when we can connect with that and remember who we are we connect with our innermost thoughts and feelings that's the best place to move forward from so i really hope for you despite all changes that have taken place or due to lockdown that we are now restricted in our movement I went to the supermarket today and used to wore my mask saw lots of people of course I smiled at them with my mask on and talked to them where i could for two meter distance I thought about how i could really eke out all of the lovely food around us how lucky we are despite all these changes and despite all these around us it was fundamentally eternal because we are free so important in this time that that space that space is available to each of us that we in ourselves within ourselves we are not restricted in any way and if we can find the time and space to go within to that in the sanctuary we gain that sense of freedom and choice individuality but as well as one with all life and So I really hope for you to do that and I look forward. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Bev Gattenby. Bev, you're talking then about well-being. One of the things that's come from the pandemic for me is that it's shown that well-being has got legs. This isn't just something that is a sort of a an abstract notion that a government marketed a budget budget as that everybody kind of thought oh yeah that's all very nice now where's the money but well-being's been at the forefront of our response why do you think that's been so successful hmm that's a big question um i mean i think so well-being was a term already being used uh you know it comes largely out of particularly out of the sustainable development goals um, promulgated by the UN. So, you know, there's quite a discourse around, uh, quite a set of language around the idea of well-being. And in some ways, uh, you know, maybe what you're recognising wasn't kind of gaining that deep kind of traction that it could 
until we had COVID. Um, and, and we have to, and we've all had to really rethink um, what our world is like and, and, our, and our assumptions that we can move around as we want um, and be safe in general, which of course has not been true for, any, for everyone anyway. Um, I th and I think um, a whole lot of organisations in New Zealand, li like local authorities, I would say, for example, who, who you know may have had some focus on wellbeing, suddenly it was really right in front of them. And I think also, you know, what our what our government managed to do is to show that economic well-being and social well-being were not, it wasn't an either or, you know, because in fact, we've had a wonderful economic recovery here. But do you remember that in those early days, it was presented as, oh, goodness, if we look after the people, the economy will, you know, it'll be an absolute disaster, um, as if one is at the cost of the other, um, which is a very bizarre kind of a thing to think. Um, and we kind of we've blown that out of the water, I think. Although you still get lots of comments about that from people overseas, that in New Zealand, you know, what's your economy like? It must be terrible, um, as if their economies are flourishing, which by and large they're not. You know, um, yeah. So that so, I mean, there's lots and lots of things. I, I do think um, people in Aotearoa do have a great sense of compassion, and and that helped. So let's squeeze in the second of your music choices we're going to have what a wonderful world we'll have the izzy kamakawai waiole version why this one? Oh, i have a great sense of optimism i think we live in a on a you know an amazing beautiful planet i think people are wonderful i think we have endless ability to heal and to nurture and and um I, you know, I'm an optimist, I guess. I love our world, I, you know. There is so much beauty in the world. Cry and I watch them go 
gonna save it to yourself. Make the kule on a pono for help the other one. And when you make the kule on a, you know, pono, then it's going, it's like kind of automatic climber. You don't need talk the stuff going, going to happen. And you just gotta let them, and the stuff just waiting for when you ready. In the sky, also on the faces of people passing by. See friends shaking and singing. How do you do? They really sing. I, I love you. time at the moment and um i i look at the kids that are coming through and i i see these incredible barriers in front of them for their future not barriers that they've created for themselves but barriers that we've created for them by climate change by the future of work and uh, by homelessness by all of these things that are constantly being presented at them that create barriers for them being able to create a future for themselves how how can we help them to overcome that like what what sort of imagination what what tools can we create for them that help them to get past that do you reckon oh i think first of all we need to let go of lots of stuff ourselves um and and that includes literally practical stuff like we actually have to have less stuff and they, you know, and and be quite open about that and have those conversations with them. I think, I mean, there are quite a few young people thinking about that, but, um, you know, there's more too. We need to listen to them, of course. Um, we need to encourage the conversations that they're having around equity and justice. Um, and I think there are many young people. It gives me great hope hearing their, their concerns with issues of justice um, and their acceptance of, you know, the huge diversity of people all kinds of diversity. So we need to listen and learn. Um, while also, uh, you know, they're still learning and growing and experiencing huge stuff. And, uh, you know, we've got to be there with our compassion as well, I guess. Um, and boy, do we have to do something about climate change. Uh, you know, we've got to make sure all of us have to make sure that there is a planet here um, for our grandchildren and their grandchildren and their grandchildren, I, you know. We have to do that. We have to get active ourselves. We have to challenge every habit that we have. Um, so yeah. what lessons What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for those bigger sorts of questions, things like climate change or, or social equity? 
oh, we don't need lots of stuff. We can slow down. We don't have to travel around as much. Um, we can connect and care for people. We can choose the greater good um, over personal good. Um, we don't actually have to have holidays overseas every year. We, you know, we're okay without that. Um, uh, we can go outside and enjoy being outside and look after, the, you know, the world. Um, yeah, we keep coming back to compassion in a way, don't we? Um, I think there's massive learning about compassion. I, and I think, I, I mean, I, there is a kind of a sense of people being anxious all over the place. And, of course, we all feel that sometimes. Certainly I do. Um, because the world is different. But, I, you know, we see such wonderful stuff as well. And um, that's the growing edge quite often, isn't it? That little spark of anxiety and wondering and fear and and the the compassion that we move to and the, the learning about what really matters. That's the growing edge. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last year and a half. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I hoped we might travel less after last lockdown, uh, you know, as in day to day. I thought there might be more people on bikes and things, and I, I don't get a sense that there is where I am. That may be different in different places. Um, and, of course, that's, you know, things are double-edged swords, aren't it? We love it that we can appreciate our own country and go holidaying in Aotearoa and enjoy it and appreciate our beauty. Um, but we're, we're also doing lots of travel, and that's putting lots of emissions out. And um, We have some deep divisions, you know, the rural... Um, urban divide is pretty tough at the moment with also lots of markers of hope um, I, you know coming you know we proved that we could come together um, and be united and saying right we want to eliminate COVID that's our goal that's what we're all going to aim for and we'll all play our part in it so if we could do that imagine if we could do that for climate change I, you know and there's a big question what would it take for us to do that I don't have that sense of us all coming together yet around that so what, what, what might we learn from that? Does it, I guess COVID's so immediate, and yet, you know, everything we hear is so immediate too about climate change. It's just, it's, it's kind of hard to believe in New Zealand because, you know, I'm looking out at these beautiful skies and green pastures and it looks as though there's nothing wrong at all. Um, and I think that's a bit of a problem in this country. You know, we actually, it's hard to believe that the planet is in such crisis. Um, and, yeah, and despite so, the... You know, Despite the strength of the report we got last week, it's we still don't have this feeling yeah. that climate change, we have to do something by next Tuesday. Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? Um, so it's really I, have weird. Some, I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I think in terms of successes. Um, so how I got to know Marwera is working with a trust called the Manaki Kaimai Mamaki Trust. And the role of that trust is to restore the Māori of the Nahere of the Kaimai Mamaki, which, of course, is a, a huge area of land um, in the North Island. And um, I, for me, that's um, it's, it's, been, it's been tough, hard work. It's political. It's um, challenging, complex. Um, but still, you know, people are coming together to say, we want to restore these forests and these catchments and um, and we really care about it. And, yes, we have some pretty big differences between us and there's some pretty tough histories here, but actually we must restore the well-being of these forests. Um, and so I'm not claiming that as a success in any way. I'm claiming it more as a privileged place to have been involved in. Yeah. 
So we are writing a book on these conversations. Actually, we are writing two books, but one of them has been submitted. <laughs> the second book is called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What is the superpower? Wow. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Oh, no one has superpowers, do they? I don't know. You're asking, these are hard questions for women to answer. Successes, superpowers? Um, they, they isn't might it called not, being human? They might, <laughs> they might not be superpowers, but they are attributes which we would like to learn from and bottle the essence of so that we can all learn from them. Um, so that so something I've lived my life by, and this, this came from, my weather will be able to empathise with this, and this came from, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the phrase now, came from my time doing a PhD, where um, really learning, really knowing deep down that what we think now won't be what we think later. That, that never to be too certain of anything, actually. So holding, so it's the idea of holding all our knowledge lightly. Um, that, that That's what we must do because it's, uh, you know, life is complex. People are complex. Uh, we grow and change. What we know changes both scientifically and how we think and how we think about the world and talk about the world and the kinds of words we use to describe it. It's all changing all the time. Somehow we manage to sort of understand each other. But the minute we get too certain about something, time to be careful. That's my view. One of my favourite books is called The Virtues of Ignorance. The which they wrote the title to be provocative, but they, but I think because it was so provocative, it sank without a trace. But they, if they called it <laughs> virtues of humility, I, I think yes. that there's, there's something in there. There's a lot yeah. in there. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, yes, but I often feel like I don't have enough courage to be the activist I'd like to be. I watch other people being um, much more out there activists, and I kind of in these in recent years I thought to myself how is it that I have really strong activist thoughts but I'm not there out the front of it um well not often and um I you know I just maybe that's just something about personality or style and you know we all need all different kinds of activists so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning the garden um people Ideas, beauty, jobs to do. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a list. Life to live. Um, the world, we got, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who thinks we're here to keep making the world a better place um, for others. So, you know, there's always things to do, isn't there? And whether that's providing a beautiful garden that nurtures someone or thinking academically about what justice is or working with a board of a charity. Um, or working in a social policy space or a community development space, or all, all of that's about wanting the world to be a better place, isn't it? So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Getting the barn finished at the Tree Church and Gardens <laughs> um, and, and um, growing new gardens there. Um, I'm a member of the Charities Registration Board, actually, which is a, it's a statutory appointment to a three-person board that is responsible for the registration and deregistration of charities. And, um, uh, you know, there are, I think we need to have massive conversations in this country around what we think it is to be a charity, um, what that space means. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's some change ahead, 
but probably not the depth of conversations enabled that, that we ought to be having as a country. Um, so, you know, I hope those conversations will keep growing. And I, and I think there are lots of ways that that might happen, probably largely because, um, you know, tangata whenua are saying, uh, you know, what we think, um, our worldviews, te ao Māori, informs how we do charity, and charities are, you know, a heavily, heavily loaded word itself, but, you know, how we do caring for each other in this country is, is um, you know, te ao Māori is heavily implicated in that and that needs to be reflected in how we think about it about our legislation as well indeed and finally do you have any advice for our listeners uh if you possibly can find some moments to enjoy lockdown uh, that may not be possible for everyone i know um uh, if you have small children um if you're an essential worker um breathe um try to stay calm if you can um we can do this we've done it before we can do this. We can care for one another. Thank you for that. Mawera. Bev, it's such an honour to get to work with you. And I've learned so much just by hearing the way you see the world. Uh, and it's been really cool today in this interview because then I know that other people are getting to have that same experience. But um, thank you for everything that you do for our communities um, and for the peace that you bring to spaces that are so fraught with conflict potentially the way that you settle that and hold everything ever so gently in your hands thank you ah, thank you beautiful words thank you
memories in between all of these I would hope my sons to see yeah Changing. I'll be f***ed if I'm gonna play that game Paid my juice, was there on time You give me them blues And now they all say Take Queen Bee with a company of warriors around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Trinity Roots, Home, Land and Sea. I'm Samuel Manansoy's Bay Dunedin, and I have been joined by Mawira Karatai in Fukutani and in Ohopal, Ev Gattenby. Uh, that was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.